Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, coach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When I come out to teach every night, I'm acutely conscious that my enthusiasm for some companies is completely infectious. People want to own stocks, and they want to own the stocks in the worst way. So with the market taking a breather, Dow dipping 80 points, S&P declining 0.21%, NASDAQ advancing just 0.27% after being up big most of the session. I want to talk about the worst way. Because I see that happening way too often, and we got to stop it. The fact is, this market's had a spectacular run, and that should make you more, not less cautious. I don't know where the top will be, but I do know we're a lot closer to the top than we were in March or April when it felt like the sky was falling. Before I get started, though, I want to thank Twitter. Yes, Twitter, for exposing me to the worst ways of buying, trading, and owning stocks. We're all stuck in our own little worlds right now, talking to the same people every day. We had a call for members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club uh, this afternoon where I answered questions. Most of the club members are people who like the stocks we own for the Chapel Trust, which are rarely speculative. They tend to be household names. The Twitterati, though, look out. They'll buy anything. And I mean some real garbage. And then immediately push it in my Twitter feed. I see a lot of people making a lot of mistakes, mistakes that could really hurt you if this tape turns menacing. And it tends to do that periodically. So tonight, tonight I want to tell you what not to do. I'm going to give you the seven deadly sins of investing that I've gleaned from Twitter. First, please stop cheerleading. It won't help. Cheerleading is for football, for heaven's sake. Anyone who comes to my box... My box pops old chair. Anyone who comes to my box better be wearing eagle green and cheering their darn fool heads off to drown out the other side, even when there's no fans. You want to give your team a morale boost, but stocks aren't football teams. Yet my Twitter feed is full of cheerleaders, Sorrento maniacs who want Sorrento therapeutics to be the next Novavax, the COVID vaccine play. Some of them just spell it out in capital letters. Give me an S. Give me an O. Give me a. Are you kidding me? Others, others say, go Sorrento with those some exclamation points and silly emojis. When you do this stuff, you might think you're boosting the stock by drawing attention to it wrong. If anything, you're actually hurting the stock. Because when short sellers see this kind of cheerleading, they start gunning for you. And that's exactly what's happening right now with Sorrento. Hey, man, the city's dynamite. Listen, we've had Sorrento on the show a few times at lower levels. I told you I'd buy it at eight. Told you at four. It was the first time. 
and then eight, then it shot up to 19. I thought that was insane. They got crushed. It's now 13. Still up a lot if you want to ring the register. When you have a huge gain in a speculative stock, please don't cheerlead. How about taking something off the table? Stocks are pieces of paper. They don't deserve your adoration. It's buy low, sell high. Not buy low, cheerlead high. Rather than falling in love with a financial instrument, you know what you need to do? Ring a, ring a register. Hey, here, this is the sound just in case you're so digitized. Take your profits when you have them. Maybe go buy something nice for yourself on Amazon. Yeah, you got a lot of good things on Amazon. Second, would it be so terrible to ask if you actually knew what the company did? Oh, man, it is so easy now to do this, to pull the trigger in this era of zero commissions that people will buy stocks without having the faintest idea how the underlying company makes its money. Sometimes they just like the symbol. So let me make a suggestion. Before you buy something, try to write down what the company does. Give yourself three reasons, three, why you like it beyond it's going up. That way, if it goes down, you'll know whether to buy more or cut your losses. Remember, stocks do go down, and sometimes they go down through no fault of their own. Maybe it's a bit there for the average. Maybe the president tweeted something discouraging. Maybe it's part of a group that's going temporarily out of fashion in the Wall Street fashion show. Hey, don't take it personally. It's the nature of the game. They're not trying to hurt you. Third, all right, we need to talk. We need to talk about electric vehicles, or also known as EV. Now, I love electric vehicles as much as I am. I love them more than you. I think they're the future. I am, in short, a believer. But honestly, only one company has mastered the art of making electric vehicles anybody likes, and that's Tesla. So stop trying to find the next Tesla when you can just buy Tesla, especially after they're giving you a five-for-one split. All right? So EV stocks, excluding Tesla, shut up. Fourth, don't make a habit of buying single-digit stocks. I know you want, to, you want to speculate. I'm a big believer in informed speculation. But stocks don't get to be single-digit because management's doing a good job. They get down there because management stinks. Don't get me wrong. I understand the appeal. I wish more executives would split their stocks like Tesla or Apple, make them easier for home gamers to digest. Too high isn't great. More on that later. But too low can be da- generally dangerous. I mean, really. I mean, big institutions typically can't eat or won't buy stocks under five. No CEO wants their stock that low. Often they're weighed down by mass amounts of debt that you can't see. So you shouldn't even think about owning a single-digit stock unless you know how to read a balance sheet. It, I'm not being mean, okay? It's not like my kids where I'm being mean. I'm not being mean. Fifth, speaking of too low, penny stocks, including ones from Mobistics, are suckers. I see them all over the place these days, and they're usually pump and dump schemes. Don't fall for it. Listen, in our first decade on the air, I did a study of how many penny stocks actually went on to make it big. All right, how many do you think? Na, 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 na. It's, it's David Faber on Jeopardy. I can only find one. Those are terrible odds, don't you think? You're simply playing a game of three-card Monty, which means you're going to lose. Six, paper gains don't count. You don't have a profit until you sell. I sometimes get the sense that many newbies are so thrilled to be in on the action, thrilled to the point that they, they act like it's a war crime, but when they hear something negative about a stunk that they own. I say grow up. Sorrento Therapeutics may not have the winning saliva test. Nikola might not sell as many trucks as you think. Plug power could disappoint again. There's always risk. None of us can predict the future. So please, when you got a monster gain, sell something. Maybe take out your initial investment, let the rest run, so you're playing with the house's money. 
Just remember, you haven't made a dime until you ka-ching, ka-ching. Finally, seven. Will you stop heckling me on Twitter? It's not a strategy, even when I'm Jimmy Jill. I'm not going to push some stock because you asked me to. Yeah, Jim, please, please, please. No, it didn't work at home with the kids. Don't work with you now. I'm always, well, I actually work with the kids too well sometimes. Anyway, I'm always happy to weigh in when you ask me about something in the lightning round, what, 800, you know? Uh, But I'm not going to retweet your post about a stock, no matter how much you beg me to do. My goal is not to move your stocks up. I'm here as your investing coach. My job is to find good companies and recommend their stocks when the price is right. Not when some random person badgers me on social media. Look, unlike nearly everyone else in this industry, at least give me this. I am willing to bless speculation. But the bottom line, there's a huge difference between Blind speculation and informed speculation. You have to be informed because when this tape eventually turns down in stocks, it is true right now. All they do is go up. But when they eventually turn down, the speculators who go in blind will be blown out faster than that darn snowshoe rabbit trying to escape the big cat. You know, it looks like he always gets away, but he doesn't. I've seen the end, the outtakes. Maybe you get out alive, but more likely you end up as some short seller's lunch. Mm-mm, bad. Justin. In Texas, Justin. Hey, Jim. I was calling to ask you what you think of CVS Health Corp. They beat earnings expectations, posting 2.64 against estimates of 1.93, while the competitor Walgreens missed estimates. CVS is integrating pharmacies into the actual stores and clearly benefiting from increased health awareness. The stock is down year-to-date, more than 11%, and was wondering what your thoughts are. Okay, I'll tell you what my thought is. I am down here on this cheap, darn linoleum floor being terrible about CVS. But you know what? I think this is what you do. Pass me the cheap scotch, will you? But I actually think that CVS is an inexpensive stock and it's being brought down by Walgreens because of the comparisons. It's really starting to bother the heck out of me. But I actually believe. I believe in Larry Merlot. I said it today on my, my ActionAlertsPlus.com call. Don't give up. It's okay. It's getting better. Nine times earnings. Good yield. Doing the right things. I'm not giving up on CVS, but I am drinking cheap scotch on my dirty linoleum floor. Oh, it's Clorox. $226. Hangs in like a champ. Ben Adore, I'll miss you. All right. Now we're going to Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, Jim. This is Bill from St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest, oldest city, city in the United States. The oldest city in the U.S. Uh, you got it. <laughs> hey, Jim. You can't put any hey. past this guy. What's up? Now, hey, Jim. I, I've been shopping and I'm getting out of tech, and I, we, I took a small position in Westco International. They reported earnings today, and they beat the earnings, okay? Right. Uh, also, too, they made a large acquisition, a $4.5 billion acquisition of uh, the cabling. And- yeah, you, you know this is a great company, Bill. Exeter. Uh, going forward, should I add to my position? I like this company very much. I talk about that Wesco, Watsco. There's a couple of like these W companies. I know I don't mean to be like WW Granger, but Wesco's a really good company. And if you want to add to it, I'm fine with it. You want to look at Azek too. Azek's another good one. Oh my God, is is the man from Honeywell calling in, Darius? Let's speak to Darius in California, Darius. My man, Jimmy Chill. Oh, the chill man be back. What's up? 
Well, first of all, I just want to tell you that we love your show, and your Twitter feed is a gift to us all. So keep up the great work. <laughs> I got some Lemcals talking about wearing a mask. Yes! What's up? Uh, well, I, we wear our mask every day out here in California, but I need your advice. It's summertime. It's hot out. We're stuck inside during a pandemic, so we need our air, con- our air conditioning to keep us chill, just like you. My stock is Carrier Global. They make fantastic air conditioning units, and I've had it since Carrier spun out from United Technologies back in April. Ever since then, it's been a slow and steady increase, and now it's trading around $30 a share. My question to you, Dr. Chill, is it time to sell and take profits? No! No! Definitely not! No, I think it's terrific. I, you don't want to do that. I think they're doing a great job. I think it's an inexpensive stock, and it's got a long way to run. It was mispriced when it came out. I think it's just, you know, it's short. look, can it go down a little bit? Yeah, but no, don't. Darius, whether he was Darius and Damchek, who is the CEO of Honeywell, or Darius from California, I like Carrier Global. And that's what I have to say. All right, I want to thank Twitter for revealing the seven deadly sins of investing. As your investing coach, when this tape turns down, you want to be informed. And here they are. And this one, by the way, is very good. And S-O-R-R-E-N-T-O will not score you a touchdown. Oh, man, but it's time. During the coronavirus pandemic, cash is out and touch-free payments are in. I'm talking to the CEO of one of the greatest stocks of our lifetime, PayPal about how it's banking on the trend. Then more money, more problems? It's never been the case. But I'll break down the issues behind big dollar stocks and pandemic home remodeling is booming. So should you consider a maker of deck and patio products like Azek, which I just use on my humble abode, I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com WEC. As we've seen over and over again, there are trillions of dollars worth of companies that benefit directly from the COVID-19 economy. They're the ones that have been leading us higher since late March. Of course, they don't want it to be like that. But, hey, take it where you can get it. Companies like financial tech plays, especially anything connected to digital or contactless payments, both essential in a world where nobody wants to touch cash. In other words, PayPal. There's a reason digital payments kingpin has been one of the year's best performers, up 78 percent for 2020, more than doubling from its March lows. In a world where everyone's taking their transactions online, you need PayPal. It's a necessity. And remember, they also got Venmo. Now, these guys reported in late July, and the stock came in very hot. The expectations were off the charts. But PayPal wasn't doing it. They shot the lights out, giving you their best second quarter ever. 
total payment volume up almost 30 percent. Revenue growth accelerating to 22 percent, nearly 50 percent earnings growth. That gave the stock another leg higher to $204, though it's pulled back to the low 190s. And now, thanks to the recent rotation out of the COVID stocks, even here, though, $225 billion valuation. That rotation seems to have stopped. So should we take advantage of the pullback to do some buying? Let's check in with Dan Schulman, the bankable president and CEO of PayPal Holdings, to get a better sense of how this company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Schulman, welcome back to Mad Money. And Jim, so nice to be here with you. All right, Dan, I usually don't do this, but this is such an amazing quarter. I'm just going to ask the basic question. How the hell did you do it in the middle of a pandemic? Well, uh, Jim, uh, thanks. It it was a strong quarter for us, certainly across almost every metric, as you mentioned. But I think what's happened is the world has accelerated from physical to digital across almost every industry. If you look at healthcare, it's all about telemedicine right now. If you look at education, it's about remote learning. If you look at the retail industry, it is now about online, almost over offline or physical locations in store. If you look at the restaurant business, as you well know, you really can't be in business if all you're doing is trying to serve customers at your location, given social distancing and the, uh, and the number of people coming out. You have to be about takeout and delivery. Um, and so across every industry, we're seeing this surge towards a digital first strategy. And all of the tools uh, and uh, products and services that we offer are probably more relevant and important uh, in across multiple industries than they've ever been before. Now, at the same time, it's important to talk about the fact that this is five years since the separation. And uh, we can go through any numbers which show how much better you did separated. I went back and looked at the original literature of when you separated. People felt it'd be great for eBay. Why? Because they would have control of the customer. Bad for PayPal, but there was nothing you could do. So what? How did the narrative of it would be bad for you uh, come about, given the fact that now you have partnerships like a Mercado Libre. A Mercado Libre, this company is, 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 is one of the largest companies in the world. It's fantastic. Uh, Facebook, Google, why didn't people see this? Why did I have to debate a young lad who told, said everyone in the world should short PayPal and go long eBay? Yeah, I remember that, uh, Jim. And I remember coming into PayPal and a lot of people had their doubts. Uh, it was uh, at that point, a 15-year-old tech company. A lot of people thought we had a lot of technical debt, uh, that our service was on a path towards commoditization. And we really tried to fundamentally redefine ourselves as not just a checkout button, but a platform of capabilities, services, tool sets that would enable businesses to move into the digital economy And that would allow consumers to safely and easily both shop uh, and consume digital services. And we knew eventually that digital was going to take over in terms of leading our economy. Um, That's, again, accelerated maybe three to five years forward in three to five months worth of time. But all of the things that we worked on, including building our brand trust, building all of our product experiences, acquiring quite a number of leading edge companies all came together. And, you know, as some cumulative total, 
um, have added up to something very different than when we first started off. Well, every time I see you and talk to you, I learn and I find new things that you do. QSR. Brilliant. Sitting there for anybody to have. You grabbed it. Yeah, I think um, both, you know, the whole idea of uh, utilizing contactless payments like QR codes, uh, like contactless cards, even eventually tap and pay with your phone. This idea of um, digital payments is moving throughout the economy right now. It used to be associated with online, but now in order for retail stores to open and protect the safety and the health of their employees, as well as the safety and health of their customers, they need to move to contactless payments at checkout. You know, there was a study that just came out that said something like 45% of all consumers no longer want to handle cash. Wow. Nobody wants to sign wow. something at point of sale where they have to touch right. something because they're worried about their health. And so the idea of taking the base of PayPal, we have 346 million people on our platform now, over 26 million merchants using us and helping merchants to open in a um, seamless way across online and offline through digital payments seem like just a natural extension for us. All right. Uh, I cannot let this interview end without talking about something that I talk about with other people. I look at the numbers and the numbers are one million, two million. We commit five million. We quit seven million. We committed a couple hours. Three hundred and fifty. I'm looking at this. I'm looking, I thought it was a typo. Five hundred and thirty million to support black and minority owned businesses and communities in the U.S., especially those hardest hit by the pandemic. The federal government, you know, the federal government may not do that much in the end. They may not net out to that. How does it work? Who do you have doing it? Why do you do it? Yeah. Well, I think it's so important, Jim, that uh, companies uh, step up and take an active role in addressing many of the problems that face us as a society. We can't just be about maximizing profit for next quarter. We need to think about the communities that we all live in. We need to think about the financial health of our own employees, the financial health of the communities around us. And when all of the um, emotion and determination to make a change in centuries of systemic racism emerge, you know, I went out, I listened a lot to my black colleagues in PayPal. I spoke to black leaders around the country. And one thing that became very clear to me was It wasn't enough to just condemn racism. What we had to really think about is once the protests die off, the problem is still going to be here. So we need to make a significant commitment, both in the short term and in the medium and long term, for us to help reduce the racial wealth gap that has existed and has not closed at all since the 1960s, since the last civil rights movement. And so we did things like we gave $10 million in the last couple of weeks to 1,172 black-owned businesses who could not get money any other way 
and would have gone out of business had we not provided those grants. They're not loans, they're grants uh, to those companies. And so this is about how do we think about being in the fight for social justice, for racial justice and equality over the medium and long term. I know it's not a contest, but I'm going to hold a lot of the CEOs feet to the fire because a profitable company that does well for shareholders is also a company that does well for the people who should and desperately need it. Dan Schulman, president and CEO of PayPal Holdings. Thank you for everything you do for shareholders and for people who are disenfranchised systematically in this country. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Jim. Thanks. Mid money's back in. I've got a new crusade, stock splits. I know that splitting your stock creates zero value. I know that in theory, the dollar amount of a stock shouldn't matter at all. And rational market splits would be meaningless. But guess what? The stock market's not just irrational. It's comically irrational. The th- it's a theater of the absurd. So I'm sick of these smug declarations that splits don't matter. As Apple announces a four for one split and its stock surges to a new all time high. Why do splits matter? Look, I like to think I'm somewhat persuasive. I mean, I got persuaded CBC to put me on air, but I've never been able to convince regular people to buy big dollar stocks. Never. Believe me, I get it. When I started trading individual stocks, I only buy single digit names. My first buy, American Agronomics, an orange grove company with a nine dollar price tag. Soon after, Florida had a freak storm, wiped out most of their oranges, nearly all my capital. Uh, one of my next buys was Bobby Brooks, a four dollar apparel stock that soon went bankrupt, wiped me out. Why did I gravitate to these single digit names? I wanted 100 shares and I couldn't afford 100 shares of something with a higher share price especially with commissions. I finally learned my lesson, though. Better to buy 10 shares of a high-quality company with a $50 stock than 100 shares of a low-quality company with a $5 stock. Like I said at the top, no business wants their stock to go that low. It's a sign of failure. I was lucky, though. For my first 20 years in the business, companies loved to split their stocks, with a few notable exceptions like Berkshire Hathaway. Whenever a stock went over 100 bucks, management would give you a split, usually two or maybe even three for one. It would be done joyously with great fanfare. Back then, CEOs knew that double-digit stocks were more attractive to individual investors than triple digits. And they wanted these individual investors to be the bedrock of the shareholder base because they tend to buy and hold on like hedge funds. These splits were your reward for staying put, even though, again, everyone recognized that splits don't create any value. Over the last 20 years, though, individual investors became less and less important as a series of crises scared people away from the market. So CEOs stopped catering to home gamers, not enough of them anyway, and they liked index funds, and they started catering to the big institutions, which have very different preferences. Big institutions love high-dollar stocks because when they trade, they pay commissions per share. It's cheaper for them to buy one share of Apple at 460 than four shares of Apple at 115. So the individual investor was forgotten, and the big institutions reigned supreme. Whenever a great company came on that regular people wanted to own, money managers would bid the stock up and then pressure management not to split. Now, though, we got a whole new cohort of individual investors whom I love, thanks to the rise of commission-free trading. They would like to own Amazon. They'd like to own Alphabet, but they're turned off by high-dollar stocks. I think these CEOs, frankly, are being foolish. And they're going to hear from me a lot about this. Individual investors could be their best friends if they'd simply split their stocks like Apple and Tesla just did. Unlike hedge funds, you don't need to have to meet with home gamers. You don't need to charm them. They'll never launch a proxy fight, try to get you fired. It's much less of a hassle than catering to big institutions all the time. But to bring in these people, CEOs need to go back to the old days when most companies would split their stock if it went over 100. 
Tim Cook gets it. Elon Musk gets it. And they're two of the best CEOs of our era. If high-quality companies split their high-dollar stocks, individuals will buy them in droves. Apple and Tesla both have huge cult followings. Splitting their stocks make it easier for these loyal customers to become loyal shareholders. That builds loyalty. I welcome anything that makes the market more friendly to regular people and anyone who does it. But you can't expect CEOs to care about that. However, they should absolutely care about the incredible runs at Apple and Tesla after those splits were announced, a sign of massive pent-up demand. If you have a triple or quadruple-digit stock, splitting it should be a no-brainer after these moves. Let me put it this way. If a stock splits... If stock splits are totally cosmetic and meaningless and cost you nothing, if it makes no difference one way or the other to you, why not just give the prospective investors what they want? All right, we got much more Mad Mighty Head. Are the confines of COVID offering you more time at home to enjoy that, that back? I'm eyeing one player that can help you uh, bank off that trend. Then, how is coronavirus impacting communications between people and their customers? I'm talking to 5-9 to find out. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Right now, we have an incredible bull market in all things housing and housing related as people stuck indoors uh, rush to buy homes in the suburbs and then fix them up because there's nowhere else to go. So when Asia came public, that's A-Z-E-K, in June, the market lapped it up. This is a company that makes composite building products that are cheaper and easier to maintain than traditional materials like wood. It's similar to Trex, a longtime Kramer fave in the faux wood decking business that's up almost 600 percent over the past five years. ASIC does decking, railings, porches, lighting, and all sorts of exteriors, making it perfect for this moment. So perfect that my contractor, Michael Haley, picked it to do over the front of my house without even knowing that I was familiar with the company or the stock. It looks dynamite, just like wood, but it won't rot like my previous deck, almost killing me when it fell apart. ASIC stock priced at 23, jumped to 27 at the end of the first day, told you to buy it. And now it's at 35 and wake up a terrific quarter. Yet this morning, ASIC gave us its first earnings report out of the gate, and the numbers were great. A strong top and bottom line beat. The residential business is on fire. No surprise if you're watching the action in the home builders of Lowe's and Home Depot. We need to know more about this exciting new stock. So let's dig deeper with Jesse Singh, the president and CEO of the ASIC. Company to get a better understanding of this smoking hot story. Jesse, welcome to Mad Money. Well, Jim, it's great to be here, and uh, especially given our first quarter as a uh, as a public company. Well, we're thrilled to have you, Jesse. My deck was falling apart. I wanted to get it fixed, and my contractor says, "No, you're not allowed yet. We're in Jersey. We can't do it." Uh, how? It with stay-at-home numbers, where contractors can't even do work, were you able to blow out the numbers? Well, you know, first off, uh, we were essential in a uh, in a number of geographies. So uh, we may not have been able to to have some sales in in your area, but broadly across the country, uh, there was strong demand. And and as a reminder, coming into this pandemic, you know, our trailing 12 uh, growth rate was 16 percent. And as we saw the pandemic unfold, uh, we saw some slowdown in April and May in, in geographies like yourself, New York, New Jersey. Pennsylvania. Uh, but as soon as things fully opened up, we saw a really strong rebound. And, and you know, people are really interested in this category. Well, look, I, I, I got to tell you, we had to do it over. And my, I, my contractor brought the catalogs and he had some of your competitors. And I said, how's that one? He goes, it's the most expensive, but it's the one we're going to use. 
And I said, why? He said, oh, because the other guys aren't going to last. And this lasts. You have a trusted brand name that I did not know when I knew you at 3M and you moved over. Somehow your brand name is the it's the gold standard. Well, you know, we built this uh, we built this business uh, over the last 20 years, uh, both on the TimberTech side and the AZAC side. Uh, we've got unique and differentiated technology. And, you know, this is a market like many other construction markets where you need a really strong ground game. And we built that out over a, over a number of years. And, and I'm excited to hear about your contractor. Uh, we've got a number of really loyal customers, whether that's with the TimberTech brand, the AZAC brand or the Versatex brand. And uh, they really recognize the quality and, and the differentiation that we have and, I, and, and also the technology and, and the durability. Well, you know, my wife, Lisa, so my contractor's trying to win her over on it. He says, Lisa, it's recycled. I mean, that's what she wanted. So you figured that out, too, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we continue to invest in that. Uh, we actually bought a recycle company on the PVC side, which is highly unusual uh, earlier this year. And, and we have a stated objective as part of our vision to continue to expand uh, the use of recycled materials. And, and you know, one of the benefits of, of being CEO of a company like this is, is we have an opportunity uh, to not only make a difference in terms of the products we, we sell, but also make a difference in terms of the environment. So we'll use 300 million pounds, over 300 million pounds of recycle this year. And we're going to continue to expand that. And, and the side benefit is it gives us an opportunity to also expand our margins. All right. Now, there's a mention in your conference call where you say our commercial business had some great products that include high privacy bathroom partitions. Uh, it could be increasingly necessary uh, along with additional barrier products. So in other words, uh, COVID protection. Well, yeah, we we have uh, you know, we have a line of bathroom partitions uh, that will convert a traditional bathroom stall into something that's highly private. So floor to ceiling, uh, sealed doors. And, and that's been important as uh, bathrooms go to more uh, uh, gender neutral bathrooms. Uh, but we also believe uh, longer term that, you know, the more barrier we can put in various spaces, you know, there's an opportunity there um, as, as we move forward. And it, it, it's a core part of uh, an outcome of the technology that we have. All right. So, Jesse, one of our, the younger people on our staff showed me a Instagram page that was about uh, old houses, basically. Cheap old houses is the name. And the word is, is that you get those and then you bring in ASIC and you can make them look new. You can flip them, too. Millennials interested in the product? Well, I I, I think, you know, coming into, um, you know, coming into our current situation, you know, people, uh, you know, both millennials and boomers were really excited about uh, the housing market. They were excited about repair and remodel. You know, as the home becomes more important and as the home matters, we see that increasing. And you're absolutely right. One of the ways to make a house look better is to really address the exterior. And our trim and our exterior products do that. And it really makes, in fact, I've got builders outside here, so hopefully you don't see banging or hear banging. <laughs> but, you know, it really does brighten the house and make it look good for the long term. Well, let me ask you a philosophical question. Uh, I use wood. I've done my deck twice. It cost me a fortune. I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. Philosophically, I, I, what I now realize is I picked the wrong material. Twice as much and did nothing. No one can tell the difference. Why is wood used? Well, I, you know, in a lot of markets, you know, not too dissimilar some, uh, uh, from some of the transitions you've seen in other markets, 
uh, there's the status quo. And, uh, you know, in our case, 80% of the decking market is still wood. Um, and that's really our largest competitor. And as you look at it, it, it tends to be just a natural default. And the more people understand the category, the more people get educated, uh, whether that's in uh, retail outlets, online, uh, discussions like this, the more people realize that a composite deck that's made out of recycle is a much better uh, longer-term uh, value proposition. And so we believe it's, it's really an outcome of education, and we're seeing that accelerating. And, and that's one of the reasons why you know, both ourselves and, and, frankly, our competitors are so excited about the market, because the market is actually four to five times bigger than what we're currently participating in. And, and we've got an opportunity to, to really convert all of that into our types of materials. Well, I want to congratulate you on your first quarter out of the shoot. Congratulations also on what you've done with the company. The balance sheet's much better. You're a great business person. I'm fortunate to know you outside of this. And I can tell people he's also a great guy. That's Jesse Singh, president and CEO of the ASEC Company. Congratulations, sir. Great to see you. Thank you so much, Jim. Hope to see you soon. Okay, man, money's back in. Mike, Mike, Mike in Minnesota. Mike! Professor Kramer, can I hear your thoughts on a fintech that provides commercial payment solutions to freight companies? Fleetcore, FLT. There were some people saying some negative things lately about Fleetcore, saying that it doesn't have the growth that it used to. I am concerned myself. It's not got a nice run today, but I am, consider me, shaky. Shaky on Fleetcore. Let's go to Justin in Florida. Justin. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Booyah back. Fly, Opco, fly. What are your thoughts on Opco Health, tick symbol OPK? You know, and also it's simple. Where you, know, you know that Opco Health is Bioreference Labs, and it's had a very big move, and then it pulled back. That's Dr. Phil Frost. And I tell you what, I think the pullback is one that refreshes because they are a great company when it comes to COVID testing. Let's go to Guy in Pennsylvania. Guy! What's up, Jimmy Chill? Calling from Eagles Country in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Well, you're right from my neighbor, man. You know, I wanted to go to CBW. Pink went to CBW. Pink! Nah, I, uh, I bought this stock on That's, April she's 3rd a singer. for a dollar. <laughs> I bought this stock on April 3rd for a dollar thirty. It's gone up a thousand percent in a little over four months. Should I ring the register? The company is in everyone's home. Tupperware brands with the stock symbol. That stock was so mispriced. That was ridiculous. And everybody hated it. Thought it was going to go under and had liquidity problems. And it doesn't. That said, you're going to take out four times your cost basis. Okay? Take out four bucks. They'll never be able to take away your gain. And then let it run. Mispriced stock. Couldn't believe where it got to. Michelle in California. Michelle. Hi, Jim. It's Michelle from San Pedro, California. Thank you so much for taking my call. I am feeling so blessed today. Okay. Right back at I you. Need... Right back at okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I need to know um, if I should hold or fold Eventbrite. Oh, Eventbrite. Oh, geez, Michelle, that's a COVID stock because it's about events. You know, at this point, I, you know, at this point, you're betting on a, on a vaccine, but so am I, which is why I want to be in the vaccine trial. I would not sell at this point. I would just own it. And thank you for the kind words. Frank in Illinois. Frank. Northside Booyah from Chicago, Jimmy Chill. Strong. What's I'm, up? I'm, 
I'm calling about Excellus Tech, ACLS. They recently beat by over 44%. That's 1,850% year over year. I was hoping to get your take on the stock. I like it. It's funny. Northside Chicago makes me think of the brilliant and unbelievably great Rick Hill, who was also a semiconductor man, by the way, sold Novellus into Lamb Research, made a lot more money for everybody else, and therefore I think I like yours, and not just by uh, innocence, by uh, uh, by accommodation there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Earnings season is all about expectations. When your stock runs too much going into the quarter, you end up in a situation where nothing's good enough for Wall Street. Which brings me to 5.9, one of our favorite COVID plays. Here's a cloud-based software company with a call center platform that helps these call centers transition to a work-from-home model practically overnight. Stocks soared from the low 50s in March to almost 132 at its highs last week. Then 5.9 reported the numbers were real good. Terrific top and bottom line beat. 29% revenue growth, hard to match. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast. But because the stock came in too hot, well, wasn't enough. 5.9 barely budged in response, and then earlier this week it got slammed by that rotation out of the COVID winners. Now that the rotation stopped, 5.9 stocks down 10 bucks from where it was trading before the quarter, and the quarter was amazing. So is it time to circle back to it? Let's take a closer look with Rowan Trollope. He's the CEO of 5.9. Get a clearer picture of the quarter's company sponsors. Mr. Trollope, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you? All right, well, Rowan, look, this uh, uh, work from home, it, it just, everybody scrambled. Most people didn't know what they were doing. It was almost as if you were set up. You, you didn't know a pandemic was coming, did you? How did you do it? <laughs> I wish. I wish. I would have bought some of your stock picks. No, no. We, uh, we happen to be at the right place at the right time. Cloud in general has been a big winner as a result of the work from home trend. And, and you know, we're one of those uh, companies that's done well. You have got these partnerships, and I think that people have to understand them. You made a big deal about CDW. Now, I've seen their ads. I didn't know that CDW basically is an anointer, and 5.9 got anointed by CDW. How much business can you bring in from that? Yeah, CDW is a, a great announcement for us in this quarter. It's, it should be a really big partnership. Um, probably the biggest partnership that we have announced, frankly, is actually AT&T, which we announced last quarter. Right. Uh, and that was actually an exclusive deal. CDW is not exclusive. But AT&T, they announced an exclusive deal with us where they're white labeling 5.9 as their lead offer. And they are moving incredibly fast. Um, these partners, and, and in particular AT&T, you don't normally think about a telco as moving fast. No. But there's something else in the water at AT&T at this point. Um, Rich Shaw and the team over there who run AT&T for business have just been super aggressive. Uh, there was a, a, a there was a long drawn out process and selection process where they look for the best the best product in the world uh, and they ultimately settled on five nine and so yeah AT and T was last quarter and then another big partner this quarter with with CDW they have incredible coverage CDW in the U S so it's just you know at the end of the day it's really simple it's, it's we can now knock on that many more doors because there's now hundreds and hundreds of sellers maybe if not thousands of sellers in these partners out there knocking on doors, selling 5.9. So very exciting uh, growth opportunity for us to build on the acceleration. As you mentioned, we accelerated to 29% mm-hmm. last quarter. So we can build on that now with this, with this extended reach with AT&T and CDW. Well, I think people have to understand the history of your company. In 2014, you had three enterprise customers of 1 million. Now you've got 59 in Q4 19. So it's since gotten even better. Is there a way to measure same store sales that uh, which enterprise is now doing even more business with you than they were so we can get a sense of year over year your, how you're doing? 
Yeah, our, our dollar. Well, first of all, our enterprise subscriptions are growing at 33% in Q2. So it's the fastest growing segment of our business is our enterprise buyers. And we saw two of the biggest deals in the company's history uh, close in this quarter. So we had incredible traction. And, and again, the partners were a big part of this. We mentioned AT&T, CDW. I should also mention our systems integrators. So mm-hmm. Deloitte, uh, right. EY have been big for us. In fact, we did more with systems integrators in Q2 in bookings, which doesn't show up in revenue, right? But in bookings, then we did in all of 2019 combined. So the systems integrators also have been incredibly powerful partners for us. And in this, in terms of same uh, store sales, we do report our dollar-based retention rate, which accelerated uh, this good. quarter. So yeah, that's at 106%. That's an LTM average, but um, for the last 12 years, uh, the last 12 months, but that's, it, it's an accelerating number in our enterprise segment uh, which we don't break out specifically on the dollar-based retention rate, uh, is even higher than that. So we have very, very good upsell to our customers, and we have a very, very low churn rate. Well, you also did something in your conference call that, frankly, makes it easier for our kinds of viewers, which are people who are curious, want to know about a company. You actually said who you beat. There's a, one of those, remember you said the two largest deals, a via system was in there already. So there was an incumbent. The company could have easily kept the incumbent, but they took the gutsy move of getting rid of them. Is it that hard to do? Is it difficult to transition? And how much better? What what more features did you offer that they they couldn't say no? Yeah, in that case, uh, that was, I think, the largest deal we've ever signed. uh, And we did displace Avaya. Um, you know, we were able to offer them an interactive voice assistant. So we had, we announced and launched in this quarter our interactive voice uh, assistant, which uses AI. It's it's uh, we're partnered with Google on the AI front. Mm. So we've signed up with Google, and that delivers a really conversational experience to the customer. Uh, so you can kind of it's a, you know it's it's the advancement, Jim, from the old days where you had the IVR where you push one for sales or two. Right, right. Now you can the computer and just say that the computer will say. Tell us what's happening. And you can speak in plain English. It understands way better than it ever did before uh, and then can direct you to the right place. So it's much, much easier and faster. And that technology, by the way, can be leveraged either through a voice conversation with the customer or it can be leveraged through a chatbot. So increasingly with coronavirus, what we're seeing is a lot of demand for digital channels first. You know, companies have had to scale up dramatically. And in the case of retailers that have moved online to entirely e-commerce, They've had to scale up their contact center, so they're looking for efficiency plays, and the interactive um, virtual assistant has been one of those for us, uh, and that's what actually one of the things that won us that large deal. So, you know, it's just the incumbents in this space don't have cloud uh, in their in – their, they don't have competitive cloud offers, and so that's why we're seeing, frankly, the two big incumbents are trading customers to 5.9 every quarter. Well, I got to tell you, I, I always hope when I get someone that it might be five, nine, because I don't want to do business with people who keep me on hold or don't know what I'm doing. Or when I get finally to them, don't care about what I'm doing. And that's not the five, nine way. Rowan Trollope, the CEO of five, nine. Congratulations on a monster quarter. Great to see you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thank you. Big discount from the stock. I really don't care. This thing is, look, this is the way of the future. And you hear the business they're winning. Stick with Kramer. Look, text this market's leader, but I want you to be aware that Cisco's forecast and a downgrade of Micron by Deutsche Bank 
were the two things that really controlled today. Now, I have to believe that Cisco's forecast may actually be overly pessimistic. But the Micron piece really said that business is slowing down in tech. So be aware that there are some negative signposts that make us want to be a little more careful and circumspect than we've been. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you next time. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.